Hi, it's only me. Hope you're well. Um, it's a while since we've done the podcast. So, um, as you'll probably know, we did a series of sprint pods. And then James and I were due to get back together just to discuss some of the topics that we covered in those sprints. So before we do that, we're going to do that next week. If you'd like to get involved and send us any questions, and please do that on social media. We'd really appreciate hearing from you um, and any thoughts you might have had or observations or things that you've maybe changed or thought about differently. Um, we're going to record that, like I said, um, pretty soon after this. So what I've done is I've just um, combined all the sprint pods so that you can just listen in one go um, if you need a quick reminder of what we've been talking about. So it's a fairly uh, rough cut, um, but I've taken out the intros and outros for most of them and it just cuts between them. So there should be five episodes in one um, and they'll be a wee bit shorter than the actual listening to them individually so hopefully it's useful hopefully you enjoy uh, and we look forward to speaking to you soon cheers bye Uh, i wanted to start this off by talking about the role of confidence so what we could use as sources and that age-old task of goal setting Now, as an athlete, I think we can all see how some level of belief significantly improves our chances of doing something great or fantastic. Uh, And without solid conviction that you have what it takes, especially in ultra running, that dream race or performance will remain somewhere in the distance until something new comes along that piques your interest or you find something else to dream about. The trouble with belief is that it constantly needs to be built. You don't just attain it and it stays with you forever. It needs continual work. And even the greatest athletes in the world have to use their training, their racing and performing to keep on refreshing it. The main difference being that many of them have found useful ways to deal with the inevitable doubts and to lessen the impact of negative thoughts, which we'll come on to a bit later on. Now, we've all heard amazing stories across the years of dedicated athletes who've all carried endless amounts of belief even when success took years to achieve and setbacks were more common than wins. One that I remember from the past that's often overlooked is Andre Agassi. Now, I'm not a dedicated tennis fan by any means, but I do remember the early 90s and he was the face of tennis. Winning slams and bringing a distinct coolness to the sport probably for the first time for a long time certainly and at his peak things came crashing down in spectacular fashion I think by 1997 his crystal meth implosion took his world rankings to 141 from being on top of the world Um, a year later he won the French and US Open and five of his Grand Slam wins came after the year his career ended at least in the eyes of the press and the public He clearly carried with him a huge amount of belief when he picked himself up and everything and everyone was against him. Now it's easy to hear stuff like that and feel inspired. He was down and out and somehow these people beat the odds to be even better and stronger in the end. But it's also easy to feel like I'll never have that same level of belief so I'll just accept that that's the way it is. But then you're selling yourself short and limiting your own opportunities. Confidence and building belief are workable and trainable skills. You can get better. And with confidence and self-belief, you're not handicapping yourself before you start. How good would it be to be on that start line thinking, I totally back myself in this race. I can do this. The performance I've worked hard for is there for the taking and I'm going to grab it with both hands. So how do you start working on this now? 
AD Bracey, Adi Bracey suggests that before you can really start making progress on building self-belief, you need to better understand your own relationship with confidence at the moment and what kind of relationship you've had with it in the past. So really thinking back or rereading notes you've taken from past performances, both the successes and the failures, or at least the perceived failure at least, you'll be asking yourself how you felt in those scenarios before and during the events, what you were focused on, were there other things going on before and during the event that made you feel more or less confident? I know it's easy to skip these kind of questions and just move on to the next training block, and most of us do, and just think about the next event, but there's always a lot of untapped knowledge when you do these things. Good performances are almost always correlated to high confidence levels. There are exceptions, of course, but confidence level is a good predictor of performance at all levels. There have been some good studies into this with some world and Olympic champions, and confidence improved things like problem solving, concentration and focus levels. The athletes lacking confidence made more mistakes and were much more distracted, and that can be incredibly important in ultra running. You make poor decisions on pacing or fueling, maybe you miss a turn or forget to take what you need from an aid station. Simple mistakes can have significant consequences in races. Those confident athletes also enjoy what they are doing. And with more positive feelings and emotions, performances tend to flow that much better. As an aside, don't get nerves or anxiety mixed up with confidence. The top athletes feel the same things as you do. They feel nervous and uh, they feel anxious uh, going into a big event. But it tends to be directed towards anticipation and excitement rather than dread and worry. Something I have seen in athletes and something I've probably experienced myself too. So you're convinced, right? None of this is new thinking, but it's stark. So what useful sources of confidence are available to us? Well, if you ask yourself some of the questions I mentioned earlier, there will be some insights there. You should be able to identify a few sources that did give you confidence. And with that, you need to understand which ones you can and should be given power to. As a coach, the most common ones I'll see with athletes will be things like Uh, Consistency of training, so rarely missing a session or cutting a long run short. Um, Hitting good intensity in workout sessions. Feeling more comfortable at paces that used to be very difficult to hold. Uh, Recovering well from longer runs. um, Or making the effort to live the athlete life, so eating well, prioritising recovery and sleep. And then trying to understand how any of these can directly affect your performance Do they let you know how ready you are to race? Can they show you how far you've come with your fitness or your pace or your endurance? Are they adhering to advice that you really believe in, either from a coach you believe in or from a training plan that you trust? You can ask yourself similar questions on the other side too. So what things set your confidence back? Is it when you run with a friend who seems to be much better than you and you, you, you don't think they've been doing the same amount of training as you? Or when you do a big training run, maybe on surfaces you're not comfortable or the conditions are poor so it doesn't go as well as you'd expected. Um, Or maybe you feel a weight of expectation coming up to this big event that you've been talking about for such a long time. Or what happens if there's an injury or a niggle uh, that you have to worry about. Which of these things are you really allowing to affect your, your future performances? And most importantly, across all these questions and insights, It's which ones do you have control over 
and which ones should you really give weight to. It's my own view that you have to be doing this for each event as there's always going to be specific performance limiters for each race. An injury during a training block is a good example. Maybe you just weren't able to train close to 100% capacity. That can understandably derail your confidence. Um, maybe you've been incredibly stressed or busy at work. Do you allow that uncontrollable factor that's affected your training shatter your confidence? Or should those things be taken into account when maybe reassessing your race goals? And of course they should. And maybe by evaluating the weight and importance you give to each of these, you'll be able to maintain a high level of self-belief and you can carry a high level of confidence through your event. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've had athletes in that very situation, and despite what they say, they still go into the race with the very same expectation that they had on day one, despite the issues that they've had uh, throughout the training, when deep down, they can't possibly have the same confidence. So I would suggest you're really careful about trying to root your self-belief and confidence in the things that you can control. You decide what training runs you do. You decide how well you eat, how healthy and supportive a life you lead, how much time you give yourself to prepare. It's really easy to be shaken by the small negative things that happen in any training journey. So focus on the foundations of your own confidence. Try to make those things solid and strong. Do the work that you promise yourself you'd do and be flexible and realistic enough with your goals so that you can stand on that start line in your own corner, fully backing yourself ready to grab that performance with both hands. So maybe you can spend a bit of time over the next few days thinking about your performances to date. There's insight and learning from both the good and the bad. This week's session, as Paul hinted at last week, is going to be about self-talk. Now you'll be glad to know I'm not going to come in here and read you a tome about how self-talk works, but rather I'm going to give you a couple of practical examples about how self-talk can make a difference, and sometimes even sharing that in a group context can make a difference as well. In Matt Fitzpatrick's um, book, Brain Training for um, Runners, which came out, I don't know, maybe two or three years ago, um, page 44, he talks about increased self-efficacy, and self-talk plays a part in that. There's a really fine line between delusion, realism, and negativity when it comes to self-talk, so you don't want to be deluded where you go, I can fly, and you jump off like a high wall and hurt yourself, but at the same time, you want to be realistic um, enough where you're trying to not protect yourself which is what a lot of self-talk does and a lot of you know inhibited ambition comes from but rather you're trying to increase basically performance and whether that's in a life work or athlete context but he also talks about how the phrase if you believe it you can achieve it a wee bit under that self-efficacy and of course that's not really true because I believe I can fly just because you believe you can doesn't mean you can but within reason that can absolutely be a really powerful level of self-talk and he talks about this example in the book about how a group of athletes, before they embarked on a time trial on trail, were given a drink, and they were told this drink was super oxygenated water, which, believe it or not, is a product that exists, probably a bit like this prime water that everyone's been going crazy for over the Christmas period, but actually has no performance benefit at all. But it was these runners were told they were getting super oxygenated water, but in reality they were just given plain old tap water, and lo and behold, on average that group of runners performed way ahead of expectations because they believed they were getting a performance advantage when in reality 
because they were given this placebo, they told themselves they were a bit fitter than they thought they were and therefore performed better. Hmm, the power of the mind in a nutshell right there. And self-talk can really, really, really make a difference in that space as well. So when we talk about self-talk, just to recap, what, what do we mean self-talk is? Self-talk's that dialogue between you and you. Sometimes people verbalise it out loud, you'll hear people running and they'll talk to themselves and they'll shout at themselves. You hear it a lot, especially in maybe martial arts type sports. Or it can be an internal dialogue where it might be what's going on in your head. And that's certainly not a place I would invite you into if you were wanting to get inside my head. Um, it's not a place I enjoy being at most days as well. But that's for another day and another psychologist. But in terms of the, the chat today, we really want to focus on positive self-talk. The negative self-talk is something we all suffer from. There's, it's basically doubt. Um, you know, we might think we can't. And the, sometimes I use the phrase when I'm coaching people, either in a work context or running context, is how can you flip that mindset from how can I, so how can I do this, to how I can do this. So you're going from how can I achieve this to going how I can achieve this is, and then you start to move into solution mode. So it's a really, really simple nuance. You're just flipping the words I and can around, and it can have a powerful impact. So if you're ever sitting in a situation where you're thinking, oh man, I've like serious doubts, how can I do this? Try and approach the problem with how I can do this is, and that may mean you need to ask for help, it might need to look for third party support, whatever it may be, but you move from defensive mode, that how can I, to solution mode, how I can. So that's the first thing when you're thinking about being caught between negative and positive self-talk. I'm going to tell you a story of a runner we ran with um, over the festive period. Um, really good guy, local runner, not going to name him here, but I'm sure he will be delighted for me to share this story. But um, he's he's coached within the Pylon family, but he lives out, out near where I live. And there was a group of us out running. Um, and I te we tend to do some group runs over the festive period, it's really nice to do that. And we came to this big hill towards the end of the run, actually, this was on Boxing Day. Um, and this hill basically has got a really sharp climb. If you could see my hands just now, you would see me, I'm pointing vertically as you would do this climb. Um, and I've run with this guy a couple of times and he's not the strongest on hills, but it's something he wants to work on. He's got big ambitions to do well in that space. And he said, as we approach the hill, my ambition for next year is to run this hill bottom to top. He opened up on that. Now, that's important because he probably tells himself that every time he approaches the hill. He's like, I'm going to conquer this hill one day. Yeah, that's the C on self-talk change. There are three C's that we'll reaffirm on. And he moved on to the second C of that, which was commitment. But this time he told us as a group that. And we actually challenged them, which is not one of the three C's of self-talk, but we challenged them to say, well, why can't you do it today? And he shifted his inner dialogue and pushed himself really hard and he crested that hill that day, not even the next year, because it was Boxing Day, so the next year's a week later, he crested it on that day. We did say he needs a new challenge for next year, but the point there was he'd already been having that kind of almost semi-negative self-talk with himself, which is, oh no, this hill, I can't do it, how can I get up here? And then he shifted that mindset to how I can, and how, how I can was he ran with us as a group, 
He hung with the faster runners who went up there, and do you know that individual wasn't even the last person up the hill that day. He beat runners he looked up to up that hill because he shifted the mindset. Yes, he had a bit of a group influence to help him there, but his internal dialogue as he went up that hill, his self-talk was his dig in, get it done, he pushed himself and he's talked, his heart rate was like in the 170s when he completed it and he mentioned that when he got to the top and he was ready for that stop but I was really proud to see him put that effort in and there are basically three C's that you can talk about when it comes to positive change and self-talk and when you talk about positive self-talk the classic examples is I can do it or sometimes we say you can do it because we talk talk about ourselves in the kind of third person um, I'm good enough you know just this to go whatever it might be um, but one of the most important things you can tell yourself from a self-talk point of view is is it's okay to fall short and it's okay to fail and in the case of that individual who crested that hill today it would have been okay for them maybe to not make it all the way to the top but they might have made a new record that day and that's good enough that is good enough because it's better to talk yourself into a stretch target which you might fall short of than an easy target which you will hit every time and it's this phrase it's better to aim high and miss than to aim low and hit and use that in some of your positive self-talk as well but there are three c's that i want you to take away from this today and there are two challenges i want you to take away and actually take action on as we go forward because that's one of the key things Paul and I want to do with these sprints is, is to spark action and to spark thinking from you. So here are the two things I want you to take away as actions for this week. Action one is, is assess your self-talk mindset. Are you being overly positive, which is just as dangerous, if dangerous is the right word to use, but certainly just as harmful as being overly negative? And are you getting a balance right on your self-talk? And can you flip your mindset from how can I to how I can? And then the second thing to take away is, is there are three C's that we want you to use from a self-talk point of view. C1 is change. So what am I going to change? I'm going to run up that hill. I'm going to complete that for the first time. C2 is the commitment. Give yourself a time frame in which to do it. I'm going to do it within this period. And then C3 is consistency show up time and time and time again and get that mindset working sharp and fast and as good as you can and if you can make those three c's happen build it into your self-talk shift from how i how can i to how i can mindset then your self-talk is going to become a weapon that you can absolutely use to become a stronger fitter athlete and dare i say to become an overarching more achieving human being on a day-to-day -day basis James was up last week with episode 2 building on my first discussion on the role of confidence specifically James chatted about how our own self-talk can hold us back before we've even started maybe on a session by session level or more widely in our lives clearly he also urged us to have some realism in our goals on the face of it we can appear to fake it until we make it, but deep down it's unsustainable. We can create whatever veneer we want around other people and in front of other people, but it's much harder to hide from the doubts and the lack of self-belief when it's just you that's waking up in the middle of the night or it's you that's heading out to do that interval session or face that next thousand metre climb. So it's really important that with some level of realism, we start to try buying in to that positive self-talk how do we identify 
and strengthen the right words, thoughts and feelings? And can you really choose which voices you're going to believe in? And before you say it, it's kind of normal to have a bunch of voices and conversations in your mind, so let's not pretend otherwise. I think to kick off, I can't imagine that there's anybody in your life that talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. Although, being perfectly honest, Alice, after a couple of coffees and a good run, she can easily fire out 500 words per minute, so there's always exceptions. So, step one done. We've all accepted and we're all comfortable that we have these voices in our heads. Step two then is about working out what are right things that we want to hear more of. And we really have to start noticing these conversations. As in that well-known quote from Helmstetter, the brain simply believes what you tell it most. And what you tell it about you, it will create. It has no choice. For me, self-talk isn't just me translating how I'm feeling about a particular situation or moment that's going on around me. It's much more than that. And if you think about it, it's really a dialogue. Even at its most basic, imagine yourself making a fairly straightforward decision, which we do countless times a day. Maybe you're up early and you're getting ready to go out and do a run. So you look outside and you see that it's overcast. This is not just an observation and confirmation that it might rain. It becomes this internal conversation. Should I put my jacket on? I could just end up too hot. I don't want to turn around when I'm out there, so I'll put it on. I don't know where it is. Why do I always lose stuff? This place is such a mess. I should have tidied up before I went to bed. I really need to get my shit together. If I'm ever going to be ready to do this race in a couple of months, I should never have signed up for this race. It's a fairly crass example, but you can see that it's much more than just an interpretation of the immediate situation. What goes on in our mind can easily spiral into different areas. So as athletes, self-talk is where we really interpret feelings, perceptions and convictions. It's how we then go on to give ourselves instructions and any reinforcement that may be needed or very much not needed. Broadly, self-talk and running or generally in sport is either task specific, like just breathe easy, run tall, be light, be quick on your feet, or it might just be a reminder about fueling or to check in with your pace every half an hour. And these cues can be really useful even just as a way of managing distraction, which is really inevitable in races from 6 to 48 hours and beyond. Self-talk can also be simply encouragement. So come on, you know you're strong on climbs, or you know you can do this, you've worked harder than anyone to be here. And also might be used as a way of maybe dialing down your state of alert. So it's about just stay calm, you've done the work, just run your own race don't get too nervous, the kind of conversations that you might have before a race. So going back to that first episode when I suggested that it would be good to think back and take notes on past performances, you might already have identified some of your strengths as well as some of your weaknesses. And part of that exercise, or as part of that exercise, it's really useful to think about how you felt in some of those most challenging scenarios. If there was a lot of negativity and doubt going on, how much of it was based on fact? And in the moments where you manage to turn things around, what dialogue was happening then? Now, if you're struggling to remember that far back, negative self-talk are usually things like, oh no, I've hill reps to do, I'm no good at them and I'm tired. I'll do a couple and then I'll just run easy if it feels too hard. My race doesn't even have many hills anyway, so what's the point? 
or getting closer to your event and starting to taper, thoughts maybe turn to, I know I didn't train as hard as I could have, I really didn't get my best in the workouts, or quite often I took an early long run finish and I blamed it on the weather or just feeling tired overall. And then some of the more memorable ones in a race are things like, see, I knew I wasn't good enough to think I could do this race, or I knew I wasn't good enough to be stronger than a certain person or hit that time that I really wanted. I'll be lucky just to finish this thing, let alone do well. But for each of those, you should be thinking about calling yourself out and challenging them. Are you really that bad on the hills? Or are you making some excuses before you start because you don't like the feeling in your, lug in your lungs and your legs? Did you really mess up your whole training plan by cutting a few runs short and missing a session or two? If you look back at the overall picture and your overall training plan over 32 weeks or longer, you were actually almost always compliant. We just tend to forget all the great work that we do and focus on the negatives. And back in that race situation again, do you really feel tired and sore because you didn't prepare well enough? Or does it just feel hard because the race is hard? We can become really flippant about the race distances we take on. Running an ultra at any distance is always hard if you're trying your best. So maybe it's not that you haven't prepared well enough, it's just that you're doing something that's hard. And remember, we're programming our brains every time we have those negative thoughts on repeat. The average person has about 12,000 to 60,000 thoughts per day. And of those thoughts, around 80% are negative and almost all of them are repetitive, around the 95% mark. So can you imagine what that might look like in a day? Take an average ultra race lasting eight hours. That could be 12,000 thoughts as you race with 11,400 of them being negative. Now can you get an idea of the scope you have to improve? Positive self-talk might not make you automatically faster, but there's loads of evidence that shows it significantly reduces, reduces the rate of perceived exertion. So the effort that you're putting in when you're racing just feels easier. So to wrap all this up, one thing you could do, it's my ask to you on the back of this podcast, is to choose a day where you'll be able to keep a note of things as they happen through the day. A work day could be a good time to do it. And what I want you to do is list all the negative thoughts you have, wherever they come from and whatever they're related to, it doesn't matter. Just write them all down on a piece of paper or your phone. Then at night, dig a bit deeper and add a few more thoughts about any fears or insecurities that you might have regularly. Anything that stresses you out all the time or something that crops up time and time again or maybe irritates you about other people and any losses in your life that you maybe dwell on too much. The next day, after your run of course, uh, have a look at them all individually and respond with a positive for each. It might feel a bit forced initially, but it's great practice that you'll be able to start noticing and training. So if you're maybe insecure about finishing your next race because you had a DNF in your last race, is there a positive in that you learned something about how you prepared and you won't make that mistake again. You're stronger because of the perceived failure. Maybe it's not even running related. Maybe you were in a relationship that ended and you feel this great sense of loss. Could you maybe write down a positive that's about a time that you had in that relationship that was really amazing? 
So once we're aware of the self-talk and we can identify what's going on, we do have the capacity to take more control of the voices that we're willing to listen to. I'll be doing this task over the next few days and I'll also be challenging James to do the same thing, although I suspect his positive column is almost always much longer than the negative, just the way James works. Um, and most of us probably are not in that, uh, that situation uh, and most of us need to find a better balance um, between those two columns uh, and weight it towards the positives rather than the negative. So I'll leave it there for now. James is up next week and he'll start to talk about threats to our self-confidence and what we might do to mitigate some of those threats. And a reminder, if you haven't listened to Paul's pod from the last one, which is episode three in this particular sprint series we are going through, then he gave an action to you to take away, much like we will do at the end of every sprint. And that action was really simple. It was to assess your self-talk mindset. Are you overly positive or negative? Or do you have the balance right? And that was the action he basically wanted you to do and then he suggested you choose a day list all the negative thoughts you have dig a bit deeper and add a few more thoughts and see what you can perhaps change in your self-perception or otherwise and hopefully you've taken the time to do that action and that will help you then move on to this next pod which i'm going to take you through here so as i said if you haven't listened to paul's pod press pause did you hear that pause button and go back to listen to episode three and if you've not listened to any of the episodes on this particular sprint series it's really worth your while going back to listen to them they are around 10 minutes long so you can consume them one after the other or consume them then reflect on them and i hope you are getting a lot from them today i'm going to talk about embracing discomfort now we did this at a recent piling uh, move with pile in a day that we had up in aberfoyle so if you were there you will be hearing some of the same themes as we spoke about on that day but embracing discomfort is really about how you think and receive stuff and the quote that we used on opening up that session this day was the most difficult thing to do uh, or the most difficult thing is the decision to act the rest is merely tenacity. And that was Amelia Earhart, who is an absolute heroine of the um, of just women's pioneering with what she did around flight. And if you don't know who Amelia Earhart is, please take the time to look her up. I'm not going to tell you here. It was really interesting hearing people talk about her. Um, I then posited that she was in Night at the Museum too, and that got a few chuckles. But don't laugh because this is a serious podcast and seriously I want you to think about where your decision to act meets tenacity because that's where embracing discomfort really hits the road when the rubber hits the road to coin the cliche. So just a wee bit about discomfort. Discomfort is this ability to be able to do stuff without or being able to embrace discomfort, the ability to do stuff without it debilitating your um, ability to move forward. So think about it a wee bit today, like you've got today's comforts where you are, in, in essence, happy and comfortable and able to operate without any major stress going on in your life. And stress can be anything from training stress to work stress to personal stress, it doesn't matter. And then there's two types of discomfort that help you build that range of discomfort that you are able to absorb. And the two types of discomfort are reactive discomfort, when something happens you just have to deal with it, which could be an unexpected death in the family, which is on the extreme side of things, through to just a meeting crashing your diary and the work that you had to do had to be crammed in and you lost time, whatever it might be. But there are things that happen 
happen that are effectively out of out of our control discomfort we just have to deal with it and then there's strategic discomfort things that you can do in order to help just build that zone of comfort that you have that allows you to be able to deal with a wider range of things whether it's building your agility your adaptability or just your resistance um, to things and in a physical sense that's kind of like building fatigue resistance through intervals and tempos and long runs and building your endurance because that's you increasing your comfort over distance um, but on a personal side it might be just the way you think and this is what this series is all about and how you approach problems and challenges your ability to have confidence that no matter what the challenge is you can problem solve as an example and if you can take today's comforts manage and go after some strategic discomfort and get better at dealing with reactive discomfort then your comfort um, tomorrow's comforts and your ability to deal with more just grows and grows and grows and it's elastic once it grows it stays growing now there are times though when different things and different stresses in your life might mean that your ability to deal with things ebbs and flows and that is okay so what i want you to do today is just take a minute to consider is is what is it you are comfortable with just take a minute to consider that i'll pause for a moment albeit i'll talk so you don't think your podcast has stopped and you check your podcast player but just think there what is it you're comfortable with today and is what you're comfortable with today enough for you to meet those lofty aims that you're aiming for and are you aiming big enough in the last podcast paul talked about you know are you overly positive or overly negative and sometimes you can be overly optimistic um, and think that you can reach for the stars you know you haven't trained for six months and you stand on the start line of a hundred miler maybe one or two occasions someone will get away with that but in the vast majority of cases that's a recipe for long-term injury or a recipe for disappointment um and there's a fine line between being deluded and thinking you can overcome anything and being absolutely debilitated and not being able to do anything so this it's like a horseshoe you know you can jump from one to the other um but I would really encourage you as you start to think about what comforts you have today and where you want to be is to understand what it is you need to stretch in order to get to that big aim. So when you start to think about it, you've got to start small because that's like that bit of elastic that you just bend and bend and stretch and stretch and bend and bend and stretch and stretch that then turns into this big bit of elastic but it doesn't do it by you pulling it apart in one go because the chances are it may snap because you'll overstretch it or it's not ready for that tension's not ready to take that so you've got to think about that a wee bit like with your with your, your level of comfort with things uh, as it is today so as as we always do what we want to do what we want you to do is just start to think about how comfortable are you with discomfort and we're using that word a lot and does discomfort feel a negative thing for you a neutral thing for you or actually a positive thing for you and the right answer not that i want to give you the answer is it can be all three and this is one of the things as we go through this series we want you to move move away from if you're in this space or want you to build on top of if you're already working your way through this space is is there is really no black or white, as Yoda says, there isn't, you know, he says, there is no try, there is just do or don't, well that's not actually true, and I haven't quoted Yoda right there, don't at me Star Wars fans, but what I'm getting at is, is that there is always but, or as well, and and or, and when you start to think about that, your level of comfort with something today isn't a fixed place to be, it's not this is my comforts and this is it, 
It's this is my comforts today and this is how I grow them tomorrow. So we've got examples. I'll, I'll use a couple of people I'm coaching just now. We've got an example of a runner who today, a local runner, and I, much like the last story I told, I won't name them, um, but this local runner has been doing downhill sprints and downhill reps today. Not something we do very often because one, they, they, they put a lot of stress on the body and the muscles um, and two, it's not tradition for people to do that it has to be done with a level of specificity but this runner's doing a very very challenging race in the summer and we're in february as we're, well january actually as we're talking just now and we have this runner already starting to stretch that level of comfort with moving at pace downhill not only to condition his body for it but also to condition him mentally to be more comfortable at letting go going down the hill that's embracing discomfort, looking at a session like that and thinking, oh, that's going to be tough, but I'm going to get it done. And it's really good to see that um, that athlete who messaged me this morning after his run to say it was a, a tough run on tired legs, but to see him embracing that, and we kind of joked about him entering the race and he sent me a laughing emoji back and then has probably bought a voodoo doll, but that's a different story. But the point there with that particular athlete is, is he's already planning and working on strategic discomfort to help build his level of comfort. The question for you is, is what can you do? So this week's action and spark action moment is going to sit around this. What I want you to do is, is I want you to sit for a moment after this podcast and just write down where your comfort is, where your ambitions lie and what discomfort do you have to embrace and engage in to go from today's comforts to tomorrow's ambitions. And it probably should just keep it to between three and five things maximum. I'm sure you can write a litany of things, but if you broadly categorise them into different things, so you might be thinking, I need to improve my quad conditioning because I've downhill reps, like like the guy we're talking about. I need to get more comfortable at running in the evening um, because I'm going to have a long spell out overnight. And I need to be more comfortable running with a pack because that's going to be something I'm going to have to do during this event. Those are areas where you could just go, well, these are the three things and I can make little tiny changes to make that more comfortable so that when it comes to the event and my big ambition, I have a greater chance of success, which is what it is all about. And even just using the pack story, I am running the West Highland Way race this year and I haven't done it for a few years because 2019 was the last time I did it. So I'm not habitually running with a pack. So for two or three easy runs a week, I'm putting a pack on with a couple of bags of lentils in it and just doing my easy runs with them because that's going to help me condition my body to be able to deal with carrying the pack. Condition my legs as well for dealing with that extra weight, albeit the, the, the winter pounds are probably helping with that as well. But also just get me over that fear or that apprehension that when I get to River Den and I have to pick up the pack that it's going to affect my experience. So instead of that affecting me, it's going to be something that I can accept manage and move on with because I'll have practiced it. These are the simple things you can do. Embracing discomfort isn't about I'm going to walk on fire and I'm going to take all of that. It's not, it doesn't have to be that level of extreme change. It just has to be doing something you ordinarily would shy away from because it's just slightly outside your comfort zone. And that is the action we want to spark this week. Write down three to five things you need to do in order to go from the level of comfort you have today that will give you a chance of greater success for your ambitions and aims of tomorrow. So on to this week. I think we'll finish up the sprints on the subject of threats to our confidence and self-belief. So as we said right at the start, confidence is something that needs continual work. It's malleable. And 
as well as putting in the work to try and build and maintain your own desired confidence levels, there's no point in us pretending that once you get there, it's just going to be plain sailing. Things are going to happen along the way that are going to challenge the work that you've done and the negative voices in your mind are only too happy to take back their place and become a regular theme again. They're never that far away. So I thought it might be worth going through a few of the potential threats to be aware of so that if your self-awareness is already high, you can see them yourself and you can choose how much impact they might have on you. Being forearmed with some of the most common threats at least gives you a head start rather than just hoping a positive attitude in all cases is always going to prevail. I think the biggest one for me is accepting and being aware that no matter how confident or how grounded or even solitary a life we lead, it's not just our beliefs that drive the actions that we take. We are constantly being affected and influenced by the people and environments around us. If you've been following the earlier episodes, you've hopefully done a fair bit of self-reflection already. And in that, maybe identified some of the external factors, relationships and processes that are important to you and your own confidence levels for whatever you're committing to do, be it a race, a new job or an event of some kind. These might be things like the coaching you're receiving, the people you train with, your knowledge of a particular race course, the people you'll be racing or just the support that you have in your day-to-day -day life. Most of these ideally are going to be positive, but they're not always. Maybe, for example, you feel that your coach is always disappointed with your efforts and uh, doesn't make you feel good going into a race. Can you maybe have a conversation about it? Or reassess your goals altogether because there's been a change in your circumstances. I see it a lot as a coach, athletes set out maybe 10 months from their big focus A race, saying that they can train 20 hours a week and finishing this 100 mile race in under 16 hours is the only goal and they'll put everything that they can into it. But the athlete then takes on a new job with maybe twice the workload in the first three months of coaching. Now the coaching athlete should really talk about those things and reassess the goals might need to change as the available time and energy just isn't there anymore. And doing that means confidence doesn't have to uh, suffer as a result and there's much more alignment in the relationship. Maybe, for example, you spend two weeks of a taper looking up all the other people you'll be racing on Strava and looking through the incredible training that they appear to have done. You need to ask yourself, is this really helpful to you? Or is it a negative side to your own confidence equation that really weighs you down? It's like those exams at school or university, if you can think back that far. Um, 10 minutes before you start, people are telling you what you should have studied and the things that they focused on that maybe you didn't. You do have some control of those external influences. You can choose not to take part in those conversations. Other threats to your confidence come from mistakes and unwanted or unexpected outcomes. These can be really damaging to confidence. It naturally feels like there's nothing you can really do about them. They're unpredictable and they're challenging. Things like falling short on your race goals, not finishing a race or making navigation errors or poor decisions in the race itself. These things can really make us feel vulnerable and if we're easily shaken by these events, our self-belief fades. And that has the unfortunate knock-on effect of you being more risk-averse in the future. 
So not tackling the tougher races or not approaching the race or the event with that bold intention that you maybe had a year before. We keep on more fuel to the self-doubt fire. Of course the race was a disaster. I'm hopeless at racing and I always will be. I don't know why I bother. And with that, we lose our opportunity for learning. When something goes wrong, it's not because you're a terrible runner who'll never do well again. Actively working on your self-belief changes that mindset. The poor race tells you that you have some stuff to figure out in the future before you go again. The mistake in the race is something that you try as much as you can to coolly accept and then you choose your next course of action. Some people, some athletes, some that I coach, some that I know as friends, some have the belief to do that and sometimes we allow those negative voices to make the decision for us and stop us from being vulnerable, protect us in a way. Listen, I know all of this sounds great in theory, but it's much more difficult in practice. I feel the same way too sometimes. I can look back on 13 or more years of racing and I can pick out the times where my self-belief just wasn't robust enough. DNFs that might not have been if I had better managed the internal chatter. But there's also races where I should never have finished. I've been badly injured and in pain for long periods, but I stayed positive and confident enough where I knew I could finish and also do well. I had a good example in a 300km race a few, few years back, and maybe some of you have heard this story before, but maybe halfway in, I'd done a lot of the work to catch up and pass the two guys in front. So I had to really dig myself out of a few bad patches uh, in those early stages, and I stayed strong knowing that if they weren't working as hard as I was, then I'd get sight of them at some point. And once I got in the lead, I put a bit of time in as well. Uh, so my confidence was super high, um, being able to pass them one at a time until I made a mistake. I went off course and I got stuck in some horrible, inescapable pit of briars and thorns. It was just like your worst nightmare. Um, and when I finally got back on course, I dropped a spot. So I was down to second. I could have been down to third, I didn't know for sure. And it took me a while to regroup. I was really angry and my head dropped for a short period. But instead, on this occasion, and like it doesn't always happen, but instead of wallowing in the pity, I had enough confidence and drive to go and do what I did already again. It actually became like a real shot in the arm to me and I didn't allow that mistake to shatter my confidence and determination entirely. I believed that I could win that race, not blindly, not a blind belief, but because I knew I'd trained well, I knew I carried lots of experience and I managed to initially put myself in the lead with more than 100k left, so I felt like I could do it again. And despite the mistakes and maybe in other scenarios on other days, I might have allowed that to negatively affect the rest of that event. So when you make mistakes or you fall short, just commit to figuring out a new plan, a way to approach it now or the next time. That's how we learn and that's how we grow and none of that happens without self-belief. Now DNFs themselves, they're hard, especially for the athletes who are really well prepared for the race, but they're part of what we do. It's a tough sport and in any race, only a small percentage are going to get close to what they are capable of performing on the day. So don't forget that and please don't let mistakes, falling short or things that are out with your control negatively impact how you're going to tackle your next bold challenge. You do have it in you as long as you commit 
you show consistency and you take control of what you believe about yourself. I think I'll finish up there. plan is that James and I are going to get together and record a longer conversation about the whole sprint series next. Um, we'll go back over some of the lessons and we'll dig a bit deeper into personal experiences and how, as very different people, James and I are very different people, we use our training and our support networks to build and maintain our own confidence. So if you've got any questions or observations at all that you'd like us to include in the final episode, please let us know. Uh, we did it last time and it worked really well. Some people sent us some voice message questions which we could include in the podcast and it helps to bring it to life a wee bit. So if you've got anything at all, um, please let us know. We've got a Pylon Ultra Facebook group or you can tag us with something on Instagram at Pylon Ultra um, if you want to get involved in that conversation. So thanks for listening to the podcast. If any of this has helped you at all, please give us the honour of a subscribe. Leave us a comment and share it on social media. It means a lot to us and hopefully encourages more people to get involved in running. We see the benefits of running every week in the athletes that we coach. We genuinely care about this sport and we want more people to tap into their own unrealised potential. And we believe that running and talking about how we tackle our running is a key to unlock this in anyone. If there's anything we can do to help you from a running perspective, please get in touch. We've got a brilliant coaching team and we work with all different levels of ability and experience. We support people who want to improve and feel much more satisfied and energised by their running. So please get involved if you want to be part of Team Pylon. If coaching isn't for you, we also have race and distance specific training plans, which are a really great way to access our experience without having someone looking over your shoulder and if you none of that's suitable for you then please just keep on listening to the podcast or send us a comment on social media and get involved and um, we, we, we care about what we're doing and we just want to help more people and um, enjoy the running and get more out of life so thanks for listening and we'll let you know when the final episode goes up cheers <laughs>